World's Finest Podcast, Episode 94. I'm your host, James Doe, and with me, as always, is Michael David Sims. Hello. Merry Christmas, sir. <laughs> Merry Christmas, and a Happy New Year, too. Thank you. Uh, what's going on? I have a few good things going on lately, and most good. of them involve the National Football League. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, my, my Falcons have clinched a playoff spot. I have made it to the finals in my fantasy league, oh. um, in the Oratory League, where uh, I'm going up against uh, Adam Rifkin, whom you oh. may remember from the oh. Oratory. I do. And uh, I've guaranteed myself money. In that, huh? since I'm in the finals. Oh, <laughs> excellent. Gonna, I'll either win $200 or I'll win 50 Either way, I don't care. I can use the money. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Good, excellent on that. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, I don't follow football, but, you know, uh, as of this recording, last night the Bears got into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, and Demolished they did it by, the Vikings. Yeah, I was going to say, and they did it by beating those. I have nothing against the Vikings, right? I have a thing against Favre. So... I'm pleased to see that that the Bears made it, especially going in, just destroying Favre. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, while, while we're talking about the Vikings, I mean, you had to have seen that video of the of their roof collapsing. Oh yeah, that, that was... is scary. Yeah, just think if it had happened about six hours later. Yeah, I mean, over at the forums, I think someone had said, "Oh, you know, they wouldn't have played the game if there was that much snow on the roof or whatever." But it's like. Even still, it still could have come down. It just could have been damaged enough where it still collapsed, you know? The roof collapsing the way it did would not have... I mean, the snow coming down might have hurt players on the field. But it was it would have been the ensuing panic that would have hurt, seriously hurt at that, and potentially killed dozens, if not hundreds, of people in those stands. I mean, I've been in a situation like that. I literally have. This is not an exaggeration. I'm not going to go into it right now. But I've seen a, a, a major stampede in a, a, a place that was much busier, much more crowded than what would have been at that football game. Um, so I know exactly how that is and the type of carnage that would cause. Um, so when I see that, it brings flashbacks to what I experienced. And... Uh, it just it just really sent a, a chill, literally a chill up my spine. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm very grateful that it did happen in the morning and not in the afternoon when the game was being played. Anyways, on a on a better note, um, <laughs> <laughs> do we have anything else, or should we just get into emails? I think we can just get into emails. Oh, okay. All right. First one today is from Chris, who writes, "Hello, Mike and James. Allow me oh, to do." Oh, a- I should mention the donations thing. <laughs> Oh, yeah. How about I should that? give people an update about that. Durr. Okay. Um, you know, as we've been saying for the last couple of episodes, um, my computer, it's, it's on the fritz. Uh, and so we've set up a donation fund. I mean, there's always, you can always donate to earth2.net. But if you uh, donate money in December, um, all of that money is going to go towards buying me a new computer, which will help run earth2.net into the future um, without any sort of programming hiccup. 
Now, if you donate at least $10 in the month of December, what you'll receive is my DVD commentary of the animated feature film Superman, Batman, Apocalypse. You're guaranteed to get that. And the person who donates the most amount of money in December 2010, so you have... Let's see, this will go up on the 22nd of December, so you have, what? what is that, like 10-ish days or something like that to yeah. continue to donate. The person who donates the most by the end of 2010 will also receive, and James, please uh, let me know if I'm forgetting anything here, uh, a brand new copy of the uncut version of the Batman Beyond Return of the Joker DVD. Uh-huh. Uh, the book Batman Animated, which is about uh, the history of Batman the Animated Series, and the other book, Mythology, the DC Comics Art of Alex Ross. Uh, to donate, again, at least $10 to Earth2.net towards this computer fund, all you have to do is go to Earth2.net slash donations. That's Earth-2.net slash donations. There you'll see a link. Click that. That'll take you to PayPal. Plunk in $10 or more, and like I said, you're guaranteed to get that commentary. Uh, before we move on, though, what I do want to say about this is if there's anybody who has donated and you haven't received the commentary from me, email me at the World's Finest Podcast email address, which is, I should have that memory memorized. We've only done 94 episodes, so I have to look it up. Here it is, feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. That's feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com, and let me know. Um, I know there was at least one person who didn't get it. I've since corrected that. I mean, I sent it out, but for whatever reason, it wasn't received uh, by, by this one person. I want to make sure that everybody who has donated has gotten it. Um, and don't try to email in and scam me and say you got it. I have a complete list of everybody who's donated, okay? <laughs> <laughs> but legitimately, if you have donated it and haven't gotten it, uh, do let me know. Um, as soon as possible, and I will get that out to you. Um, and I also want to say, um, you know, to everybody who has donated, thank you. Thank you very, very much. Um, and to everybody who uh, will continue to donate, uh, also thank you very much. Okay, now time for the emails. Alrighty then. Next, uh, first one is from Chris, who writes, Hello, Mike and James. Allow me to do a bit of fantasy booking, if you will. At the end of uh, the Doomsday Sanction, Batman is giving Superman a uh, tongue lashing, and you could tell that Batman is worried about the direction of the League and somewhat worried about what would happen if Luthor was to be elected president. Now, forgive me if I'm forgetting something, but Luthor at this point is still just a billionaire businessman and an ex-con. A pardoned ex-con, but an ex-con nonetheless. Now, if in the DCAU political climate, a billionaire with no political experience running for president is generally accepted, why wouldn't someone in the League run? I'm not a, I'm not talking about a superhero, Superman GL or even Booster Gold. The League has two billionaires in Bruce Wayne and Oliver Queen. Either one could run with the same billionaire with no political experience uh, start that Luthor has. Granted, Bruce and Ollie both have their baggage, but so does Luthor. Heck, a quick wiki check on Ollie tells me that he has run for mayor several times in the comics. And while typing this, I thought of another side to this. That being that Bruce slash Ollie would be trying to stop President Luthor politically. But what if President Wayne or President Queen were to happen? Wouldn't that be the thing that Batman is trying to avoid in the first place, the League having too much power? Now, I'm not disappointed that they didn't go this route. Uh, what we get is very, very good. But I do think this would have been an interesting way to go. My question is, do you think this would have been interesting or is it a little too West Wing for your liking? I'll stop typing now and leave you guys to it. Keep up the good work. I actually think it's very interesting. Um, as you noted, over in the comics, Green Arrow has run for mayor and actually became mayor of his city for a little while. Um, that's when I was reading Green Arrow, and I, I liked the book a lot. Um, 
the problem with having a superhero do it is his <laughs> the skeletons in his or her closet are going to come out. Um, it's going to be revealed that these guys are Green Arrow, are Batman, are whoever runs. Um, and, you know, will someone elect, you know, will a country elect Batman as president? You know, you're going, wait a minute, but they've elected Luthor, who was a criminal. Yeah, well, you know, America's fucked up. You know, you, we've got we've got people like Marion Barry, who was found smoking crack with a hooker, goes to jail, gets out of jail, and is reelected to office. Yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll send criminals who have been sent to jail into office or back to office, but I can guarantee you we wouldn't elect a vigilante. I guarantee you we wouldn't. It's it's America. We're fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> well, I generally I'm not a fan of politics in comics, music, anything, yeah. pop culture. I realize it happens. It's been happening since the beginning of of forever. I mean, uh, yeah, Superman, remember, in Superman's earliest adventures, he was taking down slumlords, not super criminals. I mean, and that's because his creators, that's what they, th their family members were having to deal with in real life. You mm -hmm. know, so, you know, they were very much tackling real world uh, issues. So you're right, it's been going on since the creation of Superman. Yeah, and I'm glad that they made uh, Luthor and uh, Justice League here, uh, a third party. They didn't put them into either the Republicans or the Democrats because yeah. that could open all kinds of cans of worms right. with uh, fans of the series. So that was a very good uh, uh, choice maneuver on their part. Uh, but I think, yeah, I could I could get behind a a, a superhero or you know non superpowered superhero running for office. Not not Bruce Wayne, never. But uh, Oliver Queen, of course, already has done it, so I could I could see that happening. I could uh, I would be interested to see what happens there as as relates to it being you know a cartoon. But it's not something I'm going to pine for all the same. No, no. But you know, it it is exactly what the league fears, as the email said. You know, if a Justice Leaguer gets into power, you know they're going to try to spearhead leg legislation that gives superpowers, or excuse me, superheroes more power, more freedom. Uh, or at the very least, you think that's what they would do. Um, and then other people in the government and potentially a good portion of America are going to start to fear superheroes more. Um, it, it really does lead to a place that the Justice League is trying to stop themselves from going. So, yeah. Yeah, great story potential. And, you know, it would have been interesting to see. But as you said, James, I'm not going to be like, oh, why didn't we get it? No, no. Yeah. I like what they did. All right, next one is from Steven, who writes, Hey, Mike and James, first-time emailer, long-time listener. Of course, I will be sad to see WFP bow out, but thanks to Earth2.net, uh, I now have a number of great podcasts to enjoy. Really looking forward to more Tranquil Tirades, James. Thank you. Uh, I just wanted to make a couple of points. I appreciate Mike pointing out the Trek references. Jeffrey Combs as, is it Wayoon? Wayoon, yeah. Okay. Uh, but he missed an interesting one that I think warrants a reminder. Way back in Justice League Season 1 in the episode The Enemy Below, the sub that the Atlanteans sink is named the USS Defiant, the same name as the Deep, as Deep Space Nine's uh, titular starship. Since there is uh, there is no real U.S. Navy vessel named Defiant, and in fact the DS9 ship was named after another fictional ship from the Alec Guinness movie Damn the Defiant, I can only assume the sub was an homage to the tough little ship from DS9. 
I realize you reviewed that episode a while ago, but I wanted to bring it up before the show is done. And besides, if you ask me, The Defiant uh, doesn't get nearly enough attention. I'm glad you finally made it to jail you as, in my opinion, uh, the penultimate episodes of the Cadmus story arc are some of the finest in animated television. I hope you discuss more of Cadmus and its players, particularly General Eiling. I thought it said a lot about what a scumbucket he was when Mrs. Waller confronted him about the kryptonite missile and he brought up drug traffic as one of his three stones. I mean, you, seriously, you're trying to justify launching a nuclear missile at thousands of innocent people because of drug dealers? <laughs> That's a great point. <laughs> um, also, while I agree that Superman was a bit Justice Lordish in sending Doomsday to the Phantom Zone, in the end, I don't think there was any real choice with him. Thank you. I, yes, I realize you pointed out uh, that out in the episode, but I'm of the opinion that Batman's reaction was a little too harsh. Then again, this is Batman. But here's to more great podcasts and more geek culture. Steve. Thank you, Steve. Thank you. Uh, next one is from Daniel, who writes, Dear Mike and James, uh, I've been listening for a few years now, and I've I'm loving it. Uh, I've been lis- I've been a bit busy, so I had to catch up, and I'm at episode 91, and I thought I'd point out something that I'm hearing as I type. Mike, I noticed that you called the brain Dalek-y at one point, and then in episode 91 you spoke about Doctor Who and the whole epic end of the third season with Master. I'm a huge fan of Doctor Who, so here's the big idea. Since World's Finest Podcast is coming to an end, perhaps a Doctor Who cast is a good idea of something to come. Just a thought. Also, do you watch the Doctor Who spinoff Torchwood? Darker than Doctor Who, and it really makes you love Jack Harkness, in case you somehow didn't like him before. But keep up the fan-fucking-tastic uh, fan work, Danny. You know, that, that's a really good idea. Um, I think if I were going to do a Doctor Who podcast, you know, I, cu- I couldn't do it all that often, because, you know, I've got, I've got my other shows and whatnot. Um probably have to run every other week, probably every other Sunday. The Sunday's opposite, better in the dark. I'd probably, now mind you, I'm just, I'm just sort of fantasy booking this in my head. Probably want to co-host that with Dan Toland, because he's just like a huge Doctor Who fan. Um, I think the gist of the show would be, because I'm not too familiar with the classic stuff, but I really know the modern stuff. So I think what we'd have to do is have Dan be the really knowledgeable fan of the classic material, me the knowledgeable fan of the new material, and Dan knows the new materials too, but, you know, it'd be sort of like us going back and looking at it, and me with fresh eyes, and Dan giving this sort of really knowledgeable insight into the program. Um, I need a name for it, though. Um, something with the doctor. We'd probably call it something like, I don't know, something cute, cutesy, like bigger on the inside, and, uh, oh, wait, we've been doing that for 53 episodes. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> are, are you happy now, sir? <laughs> yes, yes, I'm sorry. I don't, mean to, I don't mean to tease you. But no, seriously, Dan and I have been, we've had a Doctor Who podcast for 53 episodes. In fact, this upcoming Sunday, as long as I can get it edited in time, um, because, you know, with Christmas <laughs> right here, I don't know if I'm going to get a time to edit it. Actually, episode 54 will air. In that one, Dan and I, we, we recorded it last night, actually, as of this recording. Um, we spoke about uh, Horror of Fang Rock and The Invisible Enemy. So that's how deep into the classic era we are. So, yeah, uh, go to Earth2.net on the left-hand side of the page. Not only will you see that link that says forums, click it and join the forums, please. You'll see the list of all our podcasts. Check out the one that says Bigger on the Inside. And uh, as I said, you'll see 53 by the time, you know, if you don't listen to this until after Christmas, 54 episodes of that program to enjoy. So I hope you don't mind my little ribbing there. 
So there we go. <laughs> oh, I, you were just waiting to do that, weren't you? <laughs> I've been waiting for a long time. The moment that email came in, I was like, oh, how, how am I going how am I going to do this? <laughs> <laughs> All right, next one's from Christian who writes, Hey guys, I love your reviews of JLU so far. I wasn't very high on the ties that bind, mostly because a lot of the episode is just punchy, punchy, run, run, to borrow a phrase from Tom DJ, yeah. and because I wasn't digging Eon Grafud's delivery as Mr. Miracle. Even so, I love Vermin Vundabar's rather unconventional means of interrogating Calabac, i.e., you have forced me to my last resort. Cake! <laughs> Despite its flaws. <laughs> God. Oh, God. I don't think we mentioned that in the show, did we? We, we didn't. Uh, I didn't care to. <laughs> no, no. Oh. Uh, despite its flaws, the Doomsday Sanction is still a kick-ass episode in the Cadmus arc. My favorite moment of the episode was Dr. Milo fantasizing about killing Amanda Waller as she was firing him. Speaking of which, Mike... Oh, boy. Here we go. Mike, why do you hate Doomsday? <laughs> can we open up another can of worms here? Go for it. Really, my problem with Doomsday is the fact that he was this monster with no history, no real tie to Superman, that came out of nowhere and took him down. If anybody was going to kill Superman, it should have been Lex Luthor. So just the fact that it was this mindless beast, and then they try to flesh him out and give him a history, and he's some sort of Kryptonian thing, and blah, 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 blah. I don't care. I just don't care about the character enough. That's really all it is. I think he's just your prototypical 90s character. But instead of guns and pouches, he's just got spikes on him. I mean, it's like Wolverine if his adamantium half exploded out of his body. You can't <laughs> kill the fucker. The more you hit him, the stronger he becomes. So he's like the Hulk, too. You know, it's the Hulk and Wolverine that they took down Superman. It's just it's just a, a really lame character. And I'm, I'm really resentful of the fact that he is the one that killed Superman. That's that, That's what it is. P.S. Mike, I listened to episode 428 of Earth2.net, the show, and you and Dan's review of All-Star Superman convinced me to purchase both volumes of that story. Unfortunately, it re uh, really wasn't my cup of tea. The writing was decent, but Frank Quitely's art on the whole was rather ugly, the faces being over-rendered and the backgrounds being under-rendered, while he made Clark Kent too fat to be Superman. Even so, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to the animated adaptation of it next year, in part just because the animation models will have 50 unnecessary lines on their face. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, I'm glad that you tried that book out based on our recommendation, uh, though I am sorry that you didn't like it. I truly do believe that that is the best Superman comic that, uh, or Superman series, pardon, that has, like, ever been published. Um, I understand that Frank Quitely's art is not for everybody. I do. But um, I disagree with some of the stuff you were saying there, specifically calling Clark Kent fat. Mind you, he's supposed to be a corn-fed farm boy. He's always going to be bulky. And, you know, you remember Clark wears dopey suits that are a little baggier on him. So they do make him look a little bigger. Um, so I, I just don't see fat. I just see someone who, you know, is just a farm boy. That's really it. <laughs> um, and then when he takes the suit off, you know, he's the fit, trim Superman. But yeah, you know, it's, it's fair. Like I said, I mean, I don't like all of Frank Quietly's artwork on other projects. I think if you look at a lot of his work on New X-Men, um, like Emma Frost has like this, 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 her, her neck is no thicker than the pen I'm holding right now. And some of his faces are off there. But, um, you know, to, when it, when it comes to artwork, it really is to each their own. Uh, but, you know, again, thank you for at least trying the book out based on our recommendations. 
All right, and we have a couple voicemails here. We do. The first one is from Joe. Hey, guys, it's Joe from Connecticut. Long time no call. Uh, just wanted to say I'm really going to miss the show when it's gone, but I'm loving every bloody second of it while it's on. Um, just uh, wanted to say congratulations on everything that's been going on with you guys. You know, the engagement, the house, I know those are long past, but, hey, you know, I haven't been... <laughs> I've been offline for a while, so I'm still catching up. But uh also wanted to say, will you guys enjoy the DCAU? Um, I know a couple people had mentioned in past episodes uh, a show called Batman the Ace of Detectives from Pendant Productions. That's not the only one they do. They have an entire DC lineup. It starts with Superman, then expands into Batman and Wonder Woman. And then expands a little further with Supergirl. There was a Martian Manhunter miniseries. There's a Catwoman series, which is actually really damned good. And I'm not a big Catwoman fan, and I enjoy this show. And they're about to introduce another character. We don't know who it is yet, but it should be really, really cool. If it's half as good as the rest of these shows, it'll go really well. And the other cool thing is, just like the comics you would read, there's a continuity, they have crossovers, and everything else. So it's definitely something y'all may want to take a look at. So take care. Hopefully I'll get a chance to call you again before the end of the show. But if not, congratulations. You guys have done a kick-ass job. And I can't wait to hear what's next for you guys. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you, Joe, for letting us know about uh, the other um, uh, uh, series. That's the word I'm looking for in the uh, Pennant Productions um, catalog there. Um, I always mean to go check them out. I just never do. James, have you tried any of their stuff before? Mm-mm. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I definitely will. Um, maybe not tonight after we're done recording this, because I pretty much have to turn around and edit it <laughs> and get it posted right away. Um, but it's so maybe right before Christmas I'll... I'll actually download those and give those a try. Uh, the next one is from Dave. Hi, Mike and James. This is Dave. Uh, I just had a couple of quick things to say about uh, once in the future thing. Now, when Batman and Green Lantern got back to the normal timeline, Batman already knew about Terry. Do you think that affected his decision in Batman Beyond? Second, uh, I don't know about you or you two, but John uh, Stewart having a child with an alien, we don't know how late she can conceive either in life. And lastly, on the episode uh, with Miracle Man, uh, I was just watching an episode of Batman Beyond earlier today, and I'm wondering, is Barda, uh, is she a... Uh, you know, uh, immortal because she was part of the JLU in Batman Beyond. And just looking for your insight on that. Uh, good guys, good, you know, keep up the good work and I keep enjoying podcasts. Sorry to hear when you guys, you know, go off the air. Uh, so, James, what do you think here? Did uh, contemporary Bruce Wayne seeing Terry in the future influence his decision to take him on? Um, once we get to uh, the first episode of Batman Beyond. One would have to think so. Yeah. Uh, since he and 
uh, he and John Stewart are the only ones who know what happened uh, in that uh, alternate timeline, yeah. or the, the screwed up timeline is <laughs> more accurate. It makes you want to go back and watch the first episode of uh, Batman Beyond. What was that? Rebirth. Uh, I think that's what it was called. Yeah. And and uh, you just want to pay attention to uh, Bruce's mannerisms uh, and his attitude towards Terry and see if there's if you can find anything. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if anything will be there because I mean that was made right. years before this episode of JLU. But maybe they put something in knowing they would get to this story down the line. I doubt it. But maybe there's just a little mannerism, just something that we as fans who like to connect everything, and I say that with love because that's what James and I have been doing for 94 episodes, you know, um, uh, can read into and uh, say, yeah, there you go. Bruce really did know. Um, Now, uh, when it comes to the Green Lantern uh, hot girl... I don't know what the word is that I'm looking for. Um, thing. <laughs> their child. That's it. <laughs> I just called their child a thing. Um, what's his name? Warhawk. Um, yes. Yeah, we don't know. We don't know how late, um, you know, a hot girl can conceive. She's not human. Um, and uh, James, uh, when it comes to Barda being in um, Batman Beyond, do you think that implies that she's immortal or that she just lived an old, to an old age? I kind of lean towards the latter, but... Is she? Does she qualify as a new god? I mean, she is from that planet, so you know she is an alien. But I don't know if she's a new god or what her deal is. I really don't know Kirby's fourth world characters all that well, outside right. of you know Dark Side and Granny Goodness, and even those two. I only know what I know from the DCAU, anyways. Um, I think we need someone like Des Reddick to write in and say, oh yeah, Barda is a new god, or no, she isn't, or yeah, she's immortal, or no, she's not. I mean, new gods can be killed, so they're technically not immortal, you know, but by our definition, human definitions, maybe she is immortal. I don't know. I mean, but she could just have a longer lifespan too, and just, she just lived to be a hundred years old or whatever. I, I really don't know. So Someone else is going to have to write in. There's still time, Mr. Laden. Are you sure you don't want me to pray for you? I'm sure. But if it comforts you, Padre, by all means. Huh. My chair's already taken. Guess we'll have to come back tomorrow. Who are you? What is this? You can't just come in here. Release the prisoner. But release him. What if I don't want to go with him? Then you can go and take your seat, tough guy. So what do I call you? The name's Flag. Colonel Flag. Colonel Flag. You're kidding, right? Before you do something stupid, tell me, how did you enjoy your last meal? Not bad. The asparagus was a little overcooked, but the lobster was perfect. It was laced with explosive nanites. Excuse me? That's right. Any escape attempt and, well, you're going to look kind of funny trying to run away with no head. That's a lot of trouble to go to, just to keep little old me around. What do you want, exactly? You're going to do something patriotic, convict. Groovy. Who do I kill? Nobody, if the plan works. But if it doesn't, I need someone who can adapt and overcome in a tight situation. 
An expert with nothing to lose. This must be some nasty business. A little B&E, a little grand larceny. No big deal. Right. What's the target? Justice League headquarters. Always did want to die for my country. First up today is Task Force X. Uh, in this one, we open up at Bell Rev Correctional, where Floyd Lawton, a.k.a. Deadshot, is being led to the gas chamber. Uh, but when they reach the room, uh, someone is already sitting in the chair waiting for him. And Lawton wisecracks a bit, and the warden demands to know who this guy is, but he says nothing and just hands him a piece of paper. And warden reads it and is like, immediately tells the guard to release Lawton. And Lawton's just like, oh, what if I don't want to go with him? And the dude walks right up and says, then you're welcome to take your seat, smartass. Uh, so we see these two driving uh, through a mountain pass, and the man, Colonel Rick Flagg Jr., notices that Lawton is about to open the door, and he says, that's not a good idea. Your last meal was laced with explosive nanites. Uh, if you try to escape, you're going to look rather stupid running without a head. <laughs> So Lawton is like, okay, look, this was a lot of trouble to go through just for little old me. And uh, he's like, what do you want? So Flag's like, you're going to do something patriotic. And uh, Lawton's like, well, who do I kill? So Flag says, no one. You're just going to do some breaking and entering, grand larceny and whatnot. And the target is Justice League Watchtower. Hello. Lawton says, huh, always wanted to die for my country. <laughs> so after the opening credits... Uh, Flag takes him to one of Luthor's old storage facilities and introduces him to the Suicide Squad, or I'm sorry, excuse me, uh, Task Force X. George Harkness, a.k.a. Captain Boone, uh, Boomerang, Betty Sansouci, a.k.a. Plastique, and <laughs> Temple Fugit, the Clock King. Yes. Yay. Uh, they're all criminals being offered amnesty for their services, except for Flag, as we'll find out later. Uh, Clock King's plan calls for the squad to enter the watchtower in disguise of common workers and steal the annihilator for Cadmus. Flag also says that there's to be there's absolutely no unnecessary killing. Uh, the squad manages to get aboard the watchtower via the teleporter uh, automatically on schedule because Clock King has uh, studied their layout, their their uh, and their workers' schedules and knows it all by heart. Um, once they're inside, uh, Deadshot and Plastique head for the lower floors so that Plastique can set a bomb on the space station's reactor. Uh, meanwhile, Boomer and Flag uh, head for the high-security storage wing to retrieve the Annihilator armor. Uh, Plastique and Deadshot actually run into Green Lantern in an elevator, and they're really nervous. Uh, and Lawton <laughs> just gets a grin on his face and is like, Hey, uh, Mr. Lantern, uh, my wife's been bugging me for weeks to get shy, uh, Hawk Girl's autograph. <laughs> You wouldn't have to know where she is, would you? And Jill's like, haven't seen her, and just leaves the elevator. <laughs> Plastique is quite impressed by this, and uh, they get down to the reactor, and they set the charge on it with minimal resistance. And meanwhile, Flag and Boomer break into the storage area at the same time as the explosion, so as not to arouse any suspicion. And they walk up to the Annihilator, and Flag tries to activate it with this spell, but it does nothing. So Boomer's kind of disappointed, but Flag just punches him right in the face. <laughs> and Boomer gets all pissed off and unsheathes one of his boomerangs. Is like, oh, you want to go a couple rounds in, mate? Uh, <laughs> Good accent there. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so the Annihilator awakens and starts walking towards him, and Boomer's like, oh, yeah, fueled by rage. Could have warned a bloke, though. <laughs> so 
Ultimately, they're met by Plastique and Deadshot after a lot of bitching and moaning from the Clock King. And they make their way through the corridors. Meanwhile, Captain Adam has begun containing the leak, and he tells John that this uh, explosion was no accident. So the villains end up getting stalled by Vigilante, Shining Knight, and the Atom Smasher. And they do eventually overcome the heroes and get to the teleporter bay where Jean confronts them. Uh, but the Annihilator ends up ripping Jean in half and tossing him across the room. And it is every bit as gruesome as it sounds. Yeah. Uh, they start to make their escape, but Jean reforms himself and attacks again. But at this point, Plastique opens the mouth of the unconscious Atom Smasher and threatens to drop a bomb down his throat if he doesn't let them all go. But she gets a bit too cocky, though, and uh, Captain Adam makes his way upstairs and grabs her, causing the bomb in her hand to get fumbled into the air. So Deadshot takes the opportunity to shoot the bomb with one of Vigilante's revolvers, and the other three escape as the explosion happens, leaving Plastique behind unconscious. And uh, Jean tries to follow him through the teleporter, but Flag sabotaged it, leaving Jean to just say they thought of everything. So, back on Earth, uh, Amanda Waller is walking through the warehouse with Tala, and she asks if they can really use this thing. So Tala's like, uh, yes, Miss Waller, we can use it. <laughs> so Waller says uh, to Colonel Flagg that his father would be proud of him. You did a great job. Uh, and he, he leaves with the remaining members of, the, of Task Force X, and outside... Uh, Deadshot tries to leave, but Flag grabs him and beats him up a bit and says, you're in this for five years, punk. If you survive, then you can go free. Lawton asks uh, what Waller has on him, and he says, not a thing. Some people don't have to be blackmailed into serving their country. So but back up on the watchtower, they figure out which worker on the watchtower leaked all of their uh, schedule and structural information to Cadmus. And uh, Jean tells Green Lantern that he would like to go in there and wipe clean his, every memory of the last two years of his life. And Jail's like, whoa, dude, that's a bit extreme. And Sean's like, we can't trust him. So the episode ends with uh, Lantern just replying, Sean, we can't trust anyone now. And we just see a pan out of all these workers just walking around. Yep. This episode is so fucking cool. Yeah, it is. But what do you think? I really love this one. I do. It's one of my personal favorites. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest with you. It's not going to get a perfect score from me. I didn't grade a perfect score either. So, And I'm going to tell you the one reason why, and that's a big reason. They have no exit strategy. They wing their exit. I mean, so, okay, their plan is great. Everything they do is pitch perfect, but how were they going to get out of there with the Annihilator? You know? Yeah, it's going to kind of raise some eyebrows to see this, like, 14, 15-foot iron giant walking through their halls. Yeah, there's absolutely no way off of that space station that any of them could have come up with that didn't involve a lot of death. And Flag said, oh, you know, there shouldn't be death to begin with. You know, so you have to assume that they just that they just had to wing it. Because uh, especially, mind you, they didn't know that Atom Smasher was going to be there. That said... You know, they didn't expect to come upon Vigilante and Shining Knight in the hallway. Mm -hmm. You know, you can tell by their reactions. How were they going to get past John Jones and, and get down from the teleporter back to Earth? All of that is done on the fly. Um, so, because of that, because they never said, this is our exit. Like, they could have said, here's our exit strategy, and then that failed and they had to wing it, then that would have been fine. But they clearly dodged the question of, what was their exit strategy going to be? 
I, I can't give this one a perfect score. I just can't. It That part of the episode never, ever, ever makes sense to me. Right. I mean, these are guys that have played us down to the T. What, what, what were they thinking? You know, they, why... It would have made more sense if they had a... Like, what happened to Shade, who I think can teleport? Maybe he can't. I don't know. But they've got to have some sort of teleporter. You know? I mean, I don't know. I I, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure people are going to write in and tell me I'm wrong. And that's fine. Do that. I love when you guys uh, write in and uh, present opposing opinions. But I I just... Well, keep in mind that the entirety of Task Force X is non-superpowered criminals. Right. So... Having a teleporter in there would kind of be wonky, don't you think? You're right. I forgot about that. I forgot. Yeah, yeah. It's basically just assassins and inventors. Yeah, yeah. Because you're right. They could have just Antala up there, had her uh-huh. tap the thing down, and that's it. But you're right. They did specifically go with human beings with specialized skills. But I mean, despite that one big gripe, I mean, this is just an excellent story. I love the fact that they're focusing on the government here. On former villains. I think Plastique's the only one we haven't seen before. No, no, we haven't seen Boomer before either, have we? Not yet. Not to this point. Okay, so we've only seen the Clock King and Deadshot at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love the fact that they're focusing on them, showing the lengths that the government will go to, or at least a covert operation with inside the government will go to, to protect human life and to take down the heroes if need be. Um that the focus is off of the heroes for an episode, um, even though they're there in the background and do still fight these guys. Um, I just, I just like that decision to, to, to do that. Um, so yeah, th- those are some of my initial thoughts. What about yours? I, I totally agree. This episode is awesome. I love most, uh, mostly that it's told from the perspective of task force X instead of from the hero's perspective, because then you wouldn't really get all of the, the bickering and the, the interactions between these guys because it's really this is a really good script too mm-hmm. but uh one thing i noticed about this one um do you remember that underwhelming batman beyond episode lost soul no that was the one where the guy uh became the computer face thing like that looked kind of like a white skull no don't remember that <laughs> no not at all well that's why it was an underwhelming episode i guess yeah um but it, it, the uh, the guy uh, who did that, his name was uh, uh, Robert Vance. He 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 owned this like humongous company, and he wanted to put his brain waves into his grandson so he oh, could continue. Oh yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, the guy who betrayed the JLU in this episode looks exactly—I mean, exactly—like Bobby Vance from that episode, uh-huh. and he shares his name. His name is Vance. Oh. Uh, so I'm thinking he has to be Bobby's father and Robert's son uh, from from that episode. That's wild. That's a that's a nice little thing you caught there. Captain Boomerang is awesome. Yeah, I just I just love that character uh-huh. in, in, as far as the DCAU goes. Yeah, I don't know anything about him in the comics, but uh, his two appearances in the DCAU are are really good. Yeah, I mean I love. You know, just, I'm saying it now, the, the the time we see the Rogues in the Flash Museum, that one, that's <laughs> one of my favorite episodes, period. Um, mainly for the Rogues. I mean, I, I love the Flash in that one, don't get me wrong. He's my favorite character in the in, in the Justice League, if not all of DC, of the DCAU. But, uh, yeah, the Rogues in there are great, and Boomer's just excellent here and there. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> oh. Uh. 
Oh, and, and what's up with Flag calling Green Lantern, Martian Manhunter, and Captain Adam the Justice League at their weakest? Or it wasn't Flag who said that. I think it was Clock King who said that. But whoever said it. Yeah, Clock King. <laughs> How is that? Their, you've got a guy who can shapeshift, read minds, and is potentially as strong as Superman. You've got a guy who's, like, nuclear. And you've got another guy with the greatest weapon in the universe with, with energy projections that travel at the, at, at, the, at the speed of, like, thought. Like, the weakest? Really? <laughs> Whoa, okay. It's it's Clock King. <laughs> Fuck Clock King. I, 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 don't, I don't mind the Clock King so much, and I do like how he was kept to a minimum here. You know, he's not in the field. You know, he's their Oracle-type character, the right. aged Bruce Wayne-type character. I, I, I like what they did with him here. I really did. But again, <laughs> i got to take issue with calling those three weakest. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, so when Plastique uh, is setting her charges and Deadshot... Uh, chokes out that guy, right? And he leaves his body next to the generator. When, he's dead. Yeah, when that explosive goes off and the generator goes off, he's th- that dude died. Deadshot mm-hmm. didn't kill him, but Plastique's bomb did. Mm-hmm. It's like, whoa. I mean, you could assume potentially other people died from the explosion, but that's the one person we can outright say did die in this story. Um, whether Plastique survives or not, I think is questionable. Um, cause she never comes back, right? Right. That's, that's the only appearance of her. So yeah, one we know for sure, Plastique making it out alive. Oof, probably not. Um, but yeah, I've seen this one a couple of times, obviously. And I never noticed that that guy's body is left right there, pretty much where the bomb goes off. So, yep. yeah. I meant to make a note of that, actually. <laughs> I'm glad yeah. you brought it up. I don't know if you noticed this, but... When uh, I think Flag is messing around with the keypad, he enters six twenty two seventy seven. Next line JDS three six five. The I believe director of this episode was uh, Joaquim dos Santos. So yes. I'm wondering if that's what the JDS stands for, and I wonder if the six twenty two seventy seven is his birthday. I, I tried looking it up, and I couldn't find any information in that regard on him. But that's they do little Easter eggs like that all the time yeah. with, with you know, birthdays and throwing their own faces in there and little nicknames of themselves. So that wouldn't surprise me. Um, what else? What else? I don't have any more notes. This is uh, one you just got to sit back and enjoy because if you if you blink, you're going to miss uh, some great action. And, you're, and if you don't pay attention, you're going to miss some great fucking dialogue, too. Yeah. Because uh, this is this is a really really strong script. Flash. No, no, it's the original speedster. Hey, Diana, I let myself in. Hermes, how may I serve the messenger of the gods? Don't be so formal, Diana. You're practically a member of the family. Not that this is a social visit. I've got something for you here. It's it's pretty important. Zeus paid for overnight service. Here it is. For a good time, called Podenimus. <laughs> Wrong scroll. <laughs> I think I got a shot. It's her cell number. Here we go. By decree of Zeus, father of Olympus, it is so ordered. Diana of Themyscira will travel to Tartarus and set right that which has been disturbed. He's telling me to go to... Basically. Felix Faust is on the loose again. Felix Faust is dead. Yes, and pretty upset about it, too. His spirit possessed a powerful weapon called the Annihilator, then headed straight for the gates of Tartarus, 
I mean, straight for it. The Amazons did their best to stop them. They're good, but they were out of their weight class. Once inside, he went looking for Hades, the master of Tartarus. Guess Faust is still torqued. Hades messed him over pretty good a few years back. I was there. And you'll be there this time. You must defeat Faust and restore Hades to the throne of Tartarus. So far as I'm concerned, they deserve each other. Why should I care about this? You mean other than the direct order from the gods thing? Because, you know, there must always be balance between chaos and order. When there isn't, you've been to the infirmary already, right? My friends... Need you to do the right thing. They're in good hands, Diana. Yours. Next up is The Balance. This one pretty much takes place right on the heels of Task Force X. Um, uh, what's her name? Talia? That, no, Talia? Tala. Tala, that's it. Uh, she's got the Annihilator, and she's trying to, you know, cast a spell on it. Basically remove its weakness. Uh, the weakness of, uh, what is that weakness? It's basically that it needs rage to be powered, right? Right. Is that it? Yeah. Uh, in the mirror behind her is Felix Faust. Now, if I remember correctly, this was the guy that we were complaining about taking it to the Amazons in Justice League, right? Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, he's in the mirror. He's taunting Tala. Tala. Uh, we find out that he used to be her teacher and lover. Um, so not only does she like old guys, but she likes gorilla men, uh, bald men, so I've got a shot, and uh, <laughs> uh, displaced brains in the bodies of bald men. So, hey, whatever whatever works for her. You know, she's, she's trying to remove this, this weakness from it. Faust is like, okay, I'll help you. Repeat after me. So she repeats after him, and she's like, well, that didn't do anything. She turns around at the mirror, and Felix is out of the mirror. Um, he's like, ha, 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 I got you. He forces her back into the mirror. Oddly enough, I don't think we ever come back to her in the mirror and how she gets out. No, not until uh, the next season. Did they show she's still in the mirror the next time we see her? No, but all they say, Grodd, like, freezer, but that's all it said. They oh, don't explain how. Okay, okay, I didn't realize that. Okay, so Felix, he goes into the armor, uh, he breaks out, we find out that the uh, the room she was in, which looked like it was like in the dungeon of a castle, is we see it's in the, the, the Cadmus base, uh, where we saw Doomsday break out of earlier, so the Annihilator goes off. Uh, meanwhile, up on the Justice League Watchtower, uh, Flash is having uh, dinner with Wonder Woman, and uh, Shaira shows up, and she's like, whoa, 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 I thought we were having lunch together. And he's like, whoops! <laughs> you know, I mean, he's he's trying to play peacemaker. He's trying to get Wonder Woman and Shaira to be friends again. Or at least, if not friends, on speaking terms. Um, but the ladies are just not having it. Um, Wonder Woman storms off, and uh, when she goes into her room, she sees, uh, oh my god, I just forgot his name. Hermes. Hermes, that's it. She sees Hermes sitting on the couch. She mistakes him for the Flash. He's like, nope, I'm the original speedster. So <laughs> he tells her that uh, what happened was is Felix in the Annihilator suit made a beeline straight for Hades. No, not Hades. Um, well, Tartarus. Yeah. Tartarus. Hades, Tartarus, same thing. Yeah, and they even almost call it hell, too. And to, to get to Tartarus, he has to go through Amazon Island, and in the process, he laid waste to a lot of uh, Amazonian warriors. Um, so, you know, 
Hermes is like, look, you know, Zeus is telling you, you have to go down there and stop this thing, and you have to put um, Hades, Hades, yeah, um, back on his throne. And she's like, okay. So uh, as she's walking around, she realizes that mm, she needs uh, Shaira's mace, because remember, Shaira's mace um, disrupts magic. So this thing can be used to stop the Annihilator. Uh, she's going to steal it. Uh, Shayera catches her, and she's like, bitch, what are you doing? And one woman's like, bitch, I'm taking this. And is like, no, you're not, you fucking bitch. Well, they go back and forth calling each other bitches. And uh, she's like, one woman's like, please let me take this. And is like, no, you can't take it. I'm coming with you, though. Um, and one woman's like, I don't want you to. And is like, well, tough, I'm coming. So they head off. They get to the island. Uh... Uh, what's her name? Hippolyta's all like, Diana, you're not supposed to be here. And Diana's like, yeah, well, <laughs> pretty much Zeus told me to. So what you going to do, you know? So uh, Hippolyta's like, okay, remember, you stole your armor. So apparently Wonder Woman's not opposed to just stealing shit. You know, she stole her armor. She's going to steal Shaira's, you know, mace. <laughs> She's a fucking kleptomaniac. Some hero. <laughs> Man. Shitty role model for girls. Anyways, um, <laughs> Hippolyta's like, look, because you stole it, you don't have access to your full powers so she touches the star in the tiara everything on wonder woman glows for some reason and instead of telling her what her new powers are she's like oh you'll know when the time comes so uh wonder woman and hawk girl they fly off into uh, tartarus and uh you know they they they're they're flying around and they find Fa uh, felix faust and uh he's just chilling out in the library you know, just, just reading books, you know, keep himself occupied for like 5,000 years, he says. And uh, he reveals that basically uh, he dethroned Hades and, you know, I don't know, tricked him or something. And, uh, you know, the women go to attack Faust and uh, he, he just puts them in like some like dirty tornado mud whirlwind thing. I don't even know what the hell it was. Sends them to a cold part of hell. And uh, as they're walking around, they, they come across Hades, who's uh, much like... Uh, it was Prometheus, wasn't it, that was strapped to the rock? Uh, yeah, and I believe so. the vultures were feeding him and all that. They see Hades like that. Wonder Woman breaks him out, reluctantly, now mind you. She, she hates this guy. And uh, they're like, look, we three have to team up, and we've got to stop um, Felix, and we've got to put uh, Hades back on the throne of hell. Now, what I haven't been saying is the reason they have to put Hades on, back on the throne of hell, which Wonder Woman was against in the first place, is because there needs to be a balance um, between good and bad or something. I'm not even sure if they fully explain this. James, you can tell me if they do uh, in, a, in a little bit when I'm done with the synopsis here. Because okay. um, uh, what we see on Earth is anybody who has magical-based powers... Um, is losing control of them, is pretty much going mad. Um, and somehow putting Hades back on the throne will stop that, I guess. So they all go back to the library. Shaira burns it down to the ground. Felix is all like, oh no, you burnt my library. So there's a lot of punchy, punchy, run, run. Um, <laughs> eventually it comes down to Shaira uh, hitting... Faust with her mace. Again, it disrupts magic. Um, she, she takes a good chunk out of him, but she's only so strong. Wonder Woman picks up the mace um, and says, I'm stronger than her. That, that's actually a line. 
and just clobbers Felix. Uh, the, the armor's destroyed. Felix is let out of the armor. Um, Hades grabs him, and he's like, ooh, I have a new toy to play with. And uh, before the episode ends, um, throughout the whole thing, Hades has been calling Wonder Woman my child. And Wonder Woman's like, stop calling me that. And he's like, you know, your mother never told you who your father was. And she's like, my mother created me out of clay. That's all I need to know. Thank you. And storks bring babies, too. Huh? So he's like, he's like, no, Hapal and I, we both made you out of clay. And I guess after I dumped her ass, she decided, you know what? She wanted a reminder of me. So she raised you to the gods and they put life into that clay. So, ha ha, I'm your daddy. And Wonder Woman's like, Psst, like hell you are. Is this the Jerry Springer show? I think so, yeah. At the end of the day, <laughs> Wonder Woman and uh, Shaira, they've, they're not friendly. They're not, but they do at least respect each other once more as superheroes, as Justice Leaguers, and uh, they will continue to get each other's backs. But, you know, they're just not going to be friends like they once were. So I should just say, despite the way my synopsis sounded, I didn't dislike this one. I just want to say that straight out. Um, but I'll save that for a little bit. James, what were you thinking? This is actually a personal favorite of mine. Okay. Um, I, I just, I like this one. I can't, yeah. I can't overly explain why. I guess it's just the soap opera like drama and the voice cast. But yeah, it's, it's just, this is fun. I, you have Hermes, the messenger of the gods, joking around about getting a cell phone number from Podenimus. Um, Who is that? I, I didn't have time to look that up, and I don't remember my mythology that well. Oh, Pedenimus was uh, another name for Iris. Uh, oh, okay. Was a messenger of the gods, also I believe. Okay. Yeah, this is this is just fun. It's not. This is not meant to be taken overly seriously. I mean, yeah, you've got the the magic using Justice Leaguers who are now in mortal danger uh, from this chaos that's going on in Tartarus. But other than that, it's really just like, like you said in your summary, bitch. Please, <laughs> yeah, just nonstop, and I gotta tell you, I liked it here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What about you? No, like I said, I mean, joking aside with the synopsis, I do like this one. Um, something I didn't say in the synopsis is that what we get um, is this is the first time the lasso of truth is used. Wonder Woman has has used the lasso before, but Hippolyta has given her the power to use it to, you know as it's intended to be, to get truth out of people, which she uses on a demon. Sorry I didn't say that in the synopsis, but there we go. Um, so that's really cool. Um, I do like the dynamic between Wonder Woman and Hawkgirl. Um, you know, how Hawkgirl's, like, she's she's sort of bitchy and catty at her. She's like, you don't even sweat when we're in hell. She's like, I doubt you even, and you know she's about to say shit, but she gets cut off, you know? Um, and Wonder Woman's like, I do too sweat. And Hawkgirl's like, no, you glow. You know, it feels like a real argument that women would have. <laughs> um, uh, like, I can tell you, I've heard women argue like this. I know it's real. Um, I'm sure we all have. Um, so I definitely like that. Um, I like the fact that we get to go back to Paradise Island. That at first, Apollo's like, no, you're not supposed to be here. And then at the end, something else I didn't say, of course, is Apollo's like, no, this is your home. You are always going to be welcome here. You know, never mind what I've said before, basically. Um, that's all good. I just think that... I mean, what does Felix do? He, he shows up and starts reading books, and then he starts throwing down in like the last two minutes of the episode. 
That's a little anticlimactic for me. He only raises his hands to the girls after they burn down his library. Like, huh? Well, remember his first appearance, he wants ultimate knowledge, and yeah. where better to get that than Hades' library? Yeah, that's true. I, I do see what you're saying there, but they set him up as this super badass. He's got magical powers, and he's in this, in this indestructible suit of armor, and all he does is stand around and read for 20 minutes of this episode, you know? What does Hades do? A whole lot of nothing. I mean, they had a lot of powerful characters in here, and I just felt they were slightly wasted. That's all I'm saying. But it's still a fun episode. It really is. Um, though I, I will say I find it weird that they were... This whole episode is about Greek mythology. You've got Wonder Woman, Paradise Island. Uh-huh. Um, you've, got, you've got Hades. It's called Tartarus. Uh, Zeus is mentioned. But then they bring in Judeo-Christian mythology with... Hawk girl pretending to be an alien, an alien, an angel, and talking about the boss upstairs. Like you, you can't have it both ways. If you're saying uh, this is this is Tartarus, and you're specifically focusing on Greek mythology and all that, you can't throw in Judeo-Christian mythology too. Well, see, I can kind of uh, kind of excuse it here only because. She's just trying to fool these dumb goons. Yeah. So the so I can kind of excuse it. And besides, this again, this is this is not an overly serious episode. No, it's so, not. I mean, I I I'll allow it. <laughs> yeah, I just I just can't get past them mixing it all. I just really can't. Oh yeah, I can fully understand why you would uh, put it in the in the gripe category. Yeah. I'm sorry, I've been going off. What do you want to say about this one? This is kind of a an animation thing, but. The gates of Tartarus look absolutely nothing like they did last time we saw them. Oh, okay. In uh, Paradise Lost, uh, they're all there's like gears and several uh, beams across it. Here, it's just like a couple of stone slabs yeah, that are being pushed open. Yeah. So I don't know what I did. Uh, Hippolyta do some remodeling <laughs> on her off time. Yeah. I get since she's bound to guard this door her entire existence. She has, I guess she felt like. Uh, she had to go to Bed Bath and Beyond and just kind of <laughs> just remodel the whole thing. Yeah. I don't know. It's weird, yeah. and I don't like it. Yeah, I can. I didn't pick up on that, but yeah, yeah. I I I do stand by you with your gripe, though. Something else, and I love this because you know Zatanna is a favorite character of mine. Yeah, uh, and I like finding out what uh, she's saying backwards when I don't understand. Yeah, and I I looked it up, and uh, Zatanna says. Well, in regular speak, she says, all is lost, Faust sits on the throne of hell. Oh, wow. I do think having the Suicide Squad, Task Force X, whatever we're going to call them, steal the Annihilator, and then in the next episode, it's just unceremoniously destroyed, a little weak. Mm-hmm. I can understand that. I mean, they set up this whole thing as if the League is going to have to go up against it, and just two members take it down. Like, oh, what was that about? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> really? How else were they going to take it out? I mean, it's it's, in, it's an invincible juggernaut yeah, forged no, no, by the gods. Yeah, <laughs> no, no. It, I mean, I don't mind that the way it was taken out. It's just I would have liked it if it happened a little later in the season and it was actually used in a big ending battle. That's all I'm saying. Uh, Have yeah, it stolen in one episode and literally the next, it's destroyed. Just anticlimactic. That's all. It says nothing of the battle. Uh, the battle's compl- really cool. I love what they did there. Uh, I agree. Having one of them pick up the mace and beat the shit out of it is great. Just, mm-hmm. 
I, I just would have liked it delayed and maybe one or two other members of the league there. That's all I was asking for, really. No, I understand. I, I, but, I mean, given where it is, there's really not a lot and a lot of other places they could put it in the season because we're about to get into, like, the bulk of the Cadmus mm-hmm. story arc. True, so. true. Yeah. Oh. oh, what about the Flash's line? I ate dinner with two women at the same time because I'm a stud. I'm a stud. And then he puts his hand in, like, mashed potatoes and just licks them off his hand. <laughs> I just love how everybody's looking at him like, oh, my God, go away. <laughs> We'd rather have dinner with the question. <laughs> You're even smarter than they say. Smart enough to realize you don't know jack about Cadmus. I needed your help. Talk to me about Mandragora. What did he do to you? You wouldn't understand. Wouldn't understand what? That he worked for your father, Franco Bertinelli? Or that your father was himself a powerful crime boss? You were just a child. You certainly didn't understand what your father did for a living. You just knew that when he talked, people listened. That he always had his guys around him to do whatever he said. And that the most frightening one was Mandragora. Looking into his eyes was like looking into an empty pit. One terrible night, Mandragora decided he no longer wished to take orders. Get behind me, Helena. It'll be all right. Your father hoped to protect you by hiding you in a closet. You saw it all, Helena. Stephen Mandragora killed your parents while you watched. Helplessly. Isn't that what happened? If you knew all that, then you probably know what I'm going to do to Mandragora when I catch him. So why help me? That is the question. Next up is Double Date. In this one, uh, Huntress tracks down a powerful criminal uh, lord, uh, crime lord, I should say, uh, Stephen Mandragora. Uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. Uh oh! You don't listen to Bigger on the Inside, do you? Uh, no, I don't. I, I don't watch Doctor Who. So. <laughs> okay, okay. Here we go. I'm, I'm interrupting here, just to get this out of the way. Say, say the, the crime boss's name again. Mandragora. Mandragora. Okay. In Bigger on the Inside, there's an episode called Mask of Mandragora, spelt the same way as Mandragora, but they're obviously pronounced differently, right? Well, I went through this whole thing. It it lasted a couple of episodes where I could not say Mandragora the right... No, Mandragora. Damn it, I'm doing it now. Like, so there's (laughs) this... And people kept writing in because there's, you know, there's some people that listen to WFP and Bigger on the Inside. There are people writing in going, oh, Mike, what's going to happen when you get to the episode with this one? I'm not even going to try to pronounce it anymore. Um, (laughs) And I was like, I don't know. I don't know. So... Yeah, here we are. I, I literally, even though it's, in, I was looking at my notes, I completely forgot that this was the next one. Um, so throughout this story, even though James is synopsizing it, if I refer to the lead villain in this one, not by name, that's why. Because I can never remember which way to pronounce it. And no matter how many times you say it the way it's pronounced in this story, I'll never remember. So just had to get that out of there. Okay. Well, well, I'm, I'm taking one of my notes here, but really he's he's more like Tobias Whale. Uh, from uh, DC Comics, yeah. his his uh, character model. Mm. So you could just say uh, whale. 
I'll just say the big albino guy. You know? There you go. There you go. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, Huntress, yes, um, she's trying to kill this guy. Um, yeah, so she uh, attempts to assassinate him in his sleep in his home, uh, but she pulls back the covers, sees nothing but a stack full of pillows. Uh, Jean contacts her very pissed off and teleports her to the watchtower immediately where he says that he warned her to stay away from Mandragora for her own safety as well as his. And he also says that this was a test and you failed. You are, you are hereby banished from the justice league. Uh, so she storms off to her quarters, I guess, to start packing her things. But, uh, she instead goes across the hall to the questions room. And after some chit chat, she says that, uh, she'll tell him everything she knows about Cadmus if he helps her find Mandragora. So question is mock intrigued, and he agrees. Uh, back on the surface, we see Mandragora for the first time, and he is a very, very large chap. And they are in a residential neighborhood in a safe house, and uh, one agent, King Faraday, is trying to prep him to testify against some other goons. Uh, also, Green Arrow and Black Canary are there for security detail. Mandragora is really, really getting in Ollie's head with uh, insults and demands. He calls him a, a little leprechaun. And uh, eventually Arrow and Canary have had enough, and they're kicked out of the house after Canary punches Mandragora. Uh, so Arrow and Canary are now watching from a treehouse, and they see Huntress and Question pull up outside. But they intercept them, having been forewarned by Jean, and... They they all fight for a few minutes. Meanwhile, two cops show up at the front door, and Mandragora orders them to be checked out by Faraday since he doesn't recognize them. So he's like, fine. Uh, so he goes up to, up to the front door, and it's like, all right, let's see some ID, guys. And it turns out to be Mandragora's goons, and uh, Mandragora grabs Faraday from behind and flings him across the room, and he escapes. Canary notices that he's gone minutes later, and they start arguing about it. We get more bitch Bitch, 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 <laughs> with Huntress and Canary. Um, and uh, Question picks up a key off the ground, which Arrow notices and demands that he turns it over. Uh, and he and Dinah leave, and Huntress is pissed off at Q, but he says the key wasn't the clue. That was mine. The real clue was this uh, shipyard schedule of arrivals and departures. So they leave, and Arrow and Canary follow after them because Ollie was suspicious of Question from the start. Uh, en route to the docks, uh, Question says... To Huntress, look, you don't know shit about Cadmus, and I know this. Uh, I know why you're so hell-bent on killing Mandragora. Your father used to be a powerful crime boss, and his most imposing and powerful bodyguard was Stephen Mandragora. So, well, one day, he uh, he got tired of taking orders, and he killed your parents while you watched, hidden in a closet. And Huntress starts tearing up and asks why he's helping her when he knows what she'll do when she catches up to him. And Question simply says, that is the question. So Arrow and Canary follow them down the highway, but Question eludes them by driving into a subway of all places. And uh, Arrow has Jean teleport himself and Canary out of the subway before they're squished by a train. And eventually Q and Huntress reach the docks, and Question says, look, what if Mandragora isn't trying to leave the country? What if he's meeting a, a ship arriving instead? Since, as it happens, a ship from his native country is arriving that very night. So Arrow and Canary arrive. They start fighting Mandragora's goons, and Mandragora gets involved, too. And uh, Canary unleashes the, the Canary cry on him, but she tires out because the dude is just solid muscle. He picks her up, but Huntress points her crossbow at him and tells him to let her go, since uh, her uh, arrows would pierce right through him. And uh, he's like, oh, very well. 
back to federal custody, I suppose. And uh, she's like, uh, no, I'm killing you. Fuck you. Uh, so suddenly, Merdegora's son, Edgar, runs out of the ship, and uh, he and his father embrace, and he says his son was kidnapped in the old country by a rival criminal organization, and it took him all this time to arrange his return. Um, so Huntress again points her crossbow at him, and Question pleads with her to not do this, uh, and she instead lifts the crossbow and shoot, uh, points it up into the sky and shoots a rope holding a pallet full of steel I-beams. Uh, several dozen feet above their heads. It drops right on top of Mandragora, but he lives, though, and he's taken into custody. And Question says that he knew all along uh, Edgar would be on that ship and that Mandragora had no intention of cooperating with the authorities. And Huntress again asks why he helped her, knowing all this, and he says, because I like you. (laughs) So she kisses him and leads him away by his necktie with him, like, where are we going? And she's like, please stop asking so many questions. So Black Canary's in the background, and she's like, I'm sorry, but you. <laughs> the end. Yeah, yeah. What do you think? I like this one. I do. Um, I mean, it's got the question in it, so come on. Yeah. Uh, it's It's got a decent amount of arrow, a green arrow that is in it, so that's great. Um, I like what they were doing with uh, Black Canary here. I really like what they were doing with the Huntress here. Um, have we seen the Huntress before? Nope. This, well, not in a speaking role. Right. So I like the fact that the first time she shows up, we already know everything we need to go know about her. That she's a rogue. Like she's in the league, but she's a rogue element. Um, that she's been reprimanded many times. You know, I love the fact that the first time we see her, she's trying to kill someone. Um, really good stuff all around with the characters. Um, and I like the fact that at the end, you know, the Huntress, she chooses not to kill the guy, but you know she wants to still. So bad. So freaking bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, I just love the closing moments with her and the question, making out. <laughs> 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 um, something else I like about this one, which I've never noticed before, is how these teams are paired up. Huntress and Green Arrow are both archers, and the Question and Canary are both really good fighters. Mm-hmm. I never noticed that before. Um, maybe that's why they chose these two to go at each other, or maybe that's just a really weird coincidence. But knowing how smart these producers are and the things they like to do, you know, I, I really doubt that's a coincidence. But uh, enough of me rambling. What about you? Well, I, I have three notes for this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, n- none of them are particularly deep, but I agree with you. I like this one a lot. Yeah. Um, I, I love the character of Mandragora. He's very imposing. Uh, he's you. You don't even need a whole lot of character development with him because you just look at this guy and you just don't want to ever come across his path yeah. ever yeah. for any reason. Um, but I. I I think it should be noted that his son, Edgar, grows up to become one of the brain trust in Batman Beyond, the albino psychic guy. Oh, is that him? Yep. Holy shit, God. Man, they're really nailing those Batman Beyond references into here. <laughs> wow. Uh, and the late Glenn Shaddix voiced Mandragora yeah. also, yeah. Uh, which has to be noted, and uh, did a great job. I I love pretty much everything the man ever did, yeah. i got to tell you. Um and this 
this one is right up there. Uh, I loved his his voice for uh, Matagora. Yeah. Um, I have a question here. Uh-huh. Um, Agent Faraday said the word mook. Yeah. Um, wow. Because that's kind of an insulting term towards an Italian person. Yeah. See, I know it from the Punisher comic books, where it's not explicitly said towards Italians, where it's just meant for crooks, but I've kind of always suspected that it was just for Italians. Um, but, you know, when, when the word mook comes up, I believe it's in reference to Tommy Monaghan, who is the, uh, the title uh, character from DC's comic Hitman. Um, so even though he never makes an appearance, an official appearance in the DCAU, at the very least, Tommy was mentioned. So that was interesting. Oh, oh I love it when uh, Huntress first shows up into the questions room and, you know, she's talking to him and he's like, okay, bored now. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> yep. It's no bones about the fact that he wants her the fuck out of that room. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, I, I, I think it's kind of weird that, uh, Huntress's father, uh, Franco, he looked exactly like Tony Montana. Yeah, that kind of bothers me. Whenever they want to show any sort of gangster, they either look like Don Vito Corleone from The Godfather or uh, Scarface. Yeah. You know, it's sort of like, really, I, like, I understand you're, you're doing a little nod towards, you know, cinematic history, but... They don't have to look like that. And it's, it's a little cliche to actually pay tribute to that. I know that sounds weird to say it's cliche to pay tribute to something, but it is all the same. Oh, and uh, Question Drives an Edsel. <laughs> is that what that is? Yeah, that's what it looked like anyway. <laughs> yeah, and I love the fact that he had no problems with letting someone else drive his car. You know, you see yeah. that a lot of times in movies, superhero fiction, whatever, where the hero's like, this is my car, I drive. He just slides right over and lets the Huntress have at the wheel. I thought that was really nice. Um, and, and again, it shows in, uh, how different their relationship is to the Black Canary. Um, I shouldn't say how different, I'm sorry, how similar their relationship is to the Black Canary Green Arrow relationship, where she drives the motorcycle and uh, Arrow takes the back seat. You know, yeah. so, so again, there's just these parallels between these these relationships here um yeah i don't know i just I, I i i do like this one it's not great but it's a it's a fun one to watch and i i, I know we get more of huntress and uh question down the line yeah. um so it, it, it's very fun to, to to see how their relationship began clear the area immediately everybody out now Time, Lois. Get as far away as you can. Shazam! Wait! You don't understand. Out of my way, Lex. I don't know what's down there, but... Hey, guys, guys, let's take it easy, okay? Captain Marvel, thank heaven you're here. He just won't listen. He's you don't have x-ray vision, I do. There's some sort of device buried beneath us, and I'm shutting it down. No! If you touch it, it could go off. Go off? So you admit you put a bomb under this city? Not a bomb. An experimental fusion engine. It'll supply nearly free energy to everyone who lives here. See? 
Then why the lead shielding? It's for your protection. The engine creates energy through controlled fusion of kryptonite molecules. See? And why didn't you tell me this? Maybe... Maybe I was afraid you wouldn't believe me. Let's call the Atom or Steel to check the device over. See if what Luthor says is true. At least someone around here is keeping a cool head. There's no time for this. You can't just... That's it. No more Mr. Nice Guy. Next up is Clash. In this one, Captain Marvel shows up, Superman's a dick, they fight, the end. Okay, what were you thinking about this one? Um, yeah, how... how... <laughs> We can totally go with the summary if, if that is the summary if you want because that's exactly what it was. Yeah. I mean that's that's that is sums up this episode perfectly. Yeah, I mean I like the Captain Marvel stuff in this one. I like the fact that you know, they even say it in the episode that he's a bigger boy scout than Superman is. Just holy cow. Oh jeez. You know, <laughs> I I like that stuff and it doesn't come off super hokey here either. But Superman, what the fuck is his problem? Yeah, I was going to say they borrowed one of those iron girders that fell on Mandragora <laughs> to shove up Superman's ass in this episode, because that's clearly what was going on here. And, and, he, he, and he took on Static Shock's douchebag personality. A new hero showed up, uh-oh, got to act like a jerk to him. He just, he just gets jealous for no reason, just turns into a goddamn hard ass. Yeah. And and I got to tell you, something else that really bugged me about this episode that has nothing to do with Superman... Mercy is now at Luthor's side again? What the fuck? Yeah. Way to ruin her character development. Yeah. Yeah, I, can you tell we don't really like this episode, folks? Yeah, um, I, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this one. And it's a shame, because I think if they would have had Superman act... Okay, I can understand Superman being mad with Captain Marvel after Captain Marvel accidentally endorsed Luthor. I get that. But he's pissed at him before that, and he's just rude to him. Late, like, okay, it's one thing to be mad at the guy for what he said and accidentally endorsing him. It's another thing to be outright rude to him throughout the whole story. You know, he's not... Uh, like, okay, a perfect example of it is when Superman's watching TV. You know, he's watching Luthor on that news program, right? Yep. Captain Marvel walks up behind him and he's like, Hey, Supes, how's it going? And Superman's like, shh, it's Superman. He has super hearing. He doesn't need to shush anybody, ever. <laughs> he can hear Lois Lane fart if he's on Mars. <laughs> so he can watch the goddamn TV and listen to Captain Marvel and listen to Lois fart. I mean, he, he, he's just doing it to be rude to the guy. For God's sake, Batman is is nicer to Captain Marvel in this episode than Superman is because he's like, when the, when Superman and Batman are down on the surface just fighting some random goons, uh, some like C or D list villains. He's like, we like him. He's sunny, yeah. Which was kind of funny, I got to tell you. Yeah. But um, but yeah, even Batman is nicer to the guy than Superman is. Yeah, yeah I mean, I mean. It's, you know, it, it, you out there who are listening, if you want to write in and try to say, oh, Superman's mad at him because of the whole Luthor thing, yeah, again, we get that, but I, I really hope someone... He was mad before that yeah. for no reason! And again, the continued rudeness. I really hope someone writes in and tries to explain Superman's rudeness in this episode. It's completely different. or You know, it's two different things, I should say, 
for someone to be rude and someone to be mad. And Superman is rude. Downright rude. And it almost does seem like it's jealousy, which you said earlier. And I got to tell you, going back to my other note there a few minutes ago about Mercy, that, that I think that might piss me off even more than the Superman hmm. bullshit in this episode. Because they did a great job breaking her away from Luthor in, um, what was the amazing episode? Tabula Rasa. Um, and, and they just show her here like, oh, Lex, you, you got like a call or something. And yeah. she's her, what, is she his secretary now? Yeah. What, what the fuck? That, that pisses me off. It really does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all, all this griping, there is some good stuff in this one. Um, uh, we get real briefly the Batman, the animated series theme. We get the Superman, the animated series theme. Um, uh, Hawkgirl's back at the table mm-hmm. when there's the two meetings that we see on the Watchtower. Um, let's see, I'm trying to think what else was... Oh, I really do enjoy Captain Marvel's speech at the end. Yes. Um, where he flat out tells them, look, you know, you guys, you know, I, I respected you, I looked up to you, especially you, Superman, but you guys aren't heroes anymore. You're crossing a line, and I can't be a part of that. Um, really powerful. Really powerful. Um, so so there is all that, but... You know, there's... But then there's Superman destroying a city, or, you know, what will be a city in just a couple... What does Luthor say? People are going to move in in a couple of weeks, right? Something like that, yeah. yeah. He destroys... This this place that's going to be this this new dream home, this new dream city of of Luther says thirty thousand underprivileged peoples and you know adults and children, and Superman just utterly wipes it off the map because he's got a beef with Captain Marvel. Yes, he thinks he's trying to stop a bomb. Okay, I get that, but he still wouldn't destroy a city to 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 do that. He. he it's not Superman here. It's it's just not. I don't get why they would do that to this character. There's so many other ways they could have gotten to this to the same end result without having Superman act like an outright dickhole. He really hasn't been this big of a dick since the Joxor and Mala days. Yeah. Oh, you know, we gotta mention that the elementary school that Billy Batson goes to is C.C. Mm-hmm. Binder or Binder, I don't know how it's pronounced, elementary school. That's uh uh, the creator of one of the creators, I forget which, of Captain Marvel. So that's a nice little I, nod. I think it, I, I want to say it was a combination of of the creator's name and one of his collaborators. Okay, okay, yeah, I, I I knew it was at least one of their names, but if it's a if it's a, an amalgamation of the names, that's that's cool. Um, and we got to mention at the end, we do see Luthor um, is in league, no pun intended, with uh, Waller and her Project Cadmus. Um, so I know you said that wasn't Luthor that, you know, set off the building that destroyed Galatea or whatever her name was. But if, if he's in league with them here, I still got to think that was at least intended to be him. And then they just never came back to it. Uh, I, I want to say it was it was said by Bruce Tim and company that it wasn't wasn't Luthor. But I, again, that, like you just said, it could be something that they wanted to come back to and never did. I did want to mention the way now I've made no bones about the fact that I am a big fan of the No Man's Land storyline. Yeah. Uh, this is really similar um, where 
Luthor was going to, uh, you know, Luthor says he's going to rebuild Lexor City with his own money. Yeah. Uh, this is really similar to where he says he's going to rebuild Gotham to garner support for his presidential run in that story. Yeah. So that was kind of cool. It may, may have been an homage. I don't know. Yeah, it, it very well could have been. I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was. Um, I thought there was something else I wanted to say about this one. Oh, um, who voiced Captain Marvel? Is that uh, Jerry O'Connell? Uh, yes, yes. Yeah, I, I, I like what he was doing here, that he could do the naive, not naive, but the, cheesy isn't the right word either, but this sort of gee golly kind of superhero thing without making it seem cheesy, and the ultra serious, you guys let me down superhero. Mm-hmm. Um, he he really is a pretty decent voice actor. Um, so, you know, as, as much as I really don't like this episode for what they did with Superman, I do like this episode for what they were doing with Captain Marvel, which is why when we get to score this one, I gotta admit, it's I'm gonna be torn on what to give it. Um, and Jerry O'Connell is, is a big part of why this will get any positive points. Speaking of uh, voice actors and actresses, uh, gotta mention, uh, I didn't know this before, but Lisa Edelstein did the voice of Mercy. Uh, she's uh, Dr. Cuddy on House, so that was cool. I didn't know she uh, ever did any voice acting work. Yeah, I don't watch House, so I don't know who that is. Oh, I love, I love House. <laughs> I've seen precisely huge fan of that show. one whole episode of House, and the whole thing was some, uh, I think it was like some husband came down with some disease, and the house was all like, well, the only way you got it was if your wife cheated on you. And the wife's like, I didn't cheat on him. And the house like, yes, you did. I didn't cheat on him. Yes, you did. I didn't cheat on him. Yes, you did. And then at the end, it turns out she cheated on him. I mean, that, that's the only one I saw. And I was like, oh, okay. That, okay, fine. That, that was <laughs> enough for me. I mean, I'm not knocking the program. It just got really repetitive really quickly. That one episode did. And, but everybody else speaks fondly of it, so maybe someday I'll give it another shot. I'm compensating for the interference. Say again? This is a distress call from the binary ship Harkland. We took samples from a vein of unidentified ore, and that's when everything started going wrong. Slow down. Tell me what happened. Radiation from the ore. Ship's main power is offline. We're stranded, and there's some kind of chain reaction taking place in the vein we took the sample from. I need your data on the ore. Transmitting for all the good it'll do. It appears to be a simple hematite, but iron oxide isn't radioactive. Look at the atomic number. 676. It makes no sense. Shaira. Is this what I think it is? It's transuranic iron ore. Nth metal, like my mace, but unrefined. What about it? We're stranded on a rock pretty much made of the stuff. Are we in any danger? Sit tight. Don't move and don't touch anything. Prep a javelin for me. I'm on my way. Wait. I'm assigning a support team. Don't need one. I'll handle it myself. That wasn't a suggestion. You haven't been pulling your weight as a team leader. Excuse me? You're not alone anymore. Stop behaving as if you are. I'll go with you. No, you won't. You're both founding members. I don't want there to be any question who's leading the mission. Then I'll go. Fine. You've got to be kidding me. Javelin 26 is ready for you on pad 9. I'll have the last team member meet you there. Come on, then. Yes. Why did you do that? Vixen hasn't spent much time in space. Good experience for her. You know what I mean. 
sending my girlfriend and my ex on the same mission? Difficult as it may be for you to believe, I don't take your love life into consideration when I make command decisions. I've assembled a rescue party. Help is on the way. Signing off. I don't know how to thank you. But I'm sure I'll think of something. And lastly up today is Hunter's Moon, a.k.a. Mystery in Space. Uh, this one starts with Jean receiving a distress signal from some other corner of the galaxy. Uh, and it turns out that this alien's vessel was downed by uh, a large collection of a natural unrefined nth metal, uh, which is highly radioactive and dangerous. And uh, Shaira volunteers to go save them by herself, but Jean says, no, you're taking a, a team with you. And he assigns Vixen and Vigilante to go with her, much to her and Giel's chagrin. Giel's even like, why'd you do that? And John's like, you know what? I don't take your love life into consideration when I'm making command decisions. <laughs> Thank you, Jean. Thank you. Nice. Uh, so Jean bids farewell to the person in distress, but it turns out to be Lieutenant Perrin Dull from the Thanagarian invasion. Uh, and uh, so Shaira and crew arrive on the planet or moon or whatever it is. Uh, but Shaira quickly discovers it's a trap when there's no shadow cast on the mine's floodlights. Um and it's a hologram, and they start getting shot at. And the javelin is destroyed in this fight. And eventually, uh, they take cover, and Perindol, uh demands that they hand Shaira over. And she says that Thanagar lost the war because of her betrayal, essentially. And Hrotalik is also dead, having sacrificed him to destroy one last large Gordanian starship. And Shaira is – she is just aghast uh, – and Perindol says, look, if you turn Shire over, the rest of you can go free. Otherwise, you die too. Uh, so Vigilante immediately starts shooting at them, but Shire's, Shire's like, stop. You don't speak for the team. I do. And a bunch of bickering back and forth. And Shire's like, look, maybe I should take their offer. And she also admits to Vixen that she still loved Hrotalic. Um, uh, they do manage to get away and stay hidden for a while because – uh, Shaira was an expert in covert ops, and she knows how to stay hidden and to track people. Um, however, in their next battle, Vixen's captured and uh, by the now royally, royally fucked up Lieutenant Krager. And uh, she offers to give them uh, Shaira in exchange for letting her go. But she needs a med kit, and she fools them into taking her to their ship. And she beats up one of these... Uh, Hawk soldiers, uh, but Perindol captures her again, and Shaira elsewhere leaves Vigilante on his own, despite the fact that he's wounded, uh, saying that the JLU will send a search party soon enough, and so she goes to turn herself over to them, and, uh, meanwhile, Vigilante captures one of the Thanagarian soldiers and, uh, ends up stealing Perindol's spaceship, uh, so Shaira turns herself in, and they drop Vixen from the sky, but Vigilante catches her in the ship, uh, and Shaira sends Krager to his doom while uh, Vixen dispatches Perindol, and they safely return to the Watchtower. Uh, when they get there, Shaira and Vixen appear as if they're about to have like a knockdown, dragout cat fight. But and uh, Giel's worried, but it turns out that they're just going to the cafeteria to clear the air, and they come to an agreement on where they each stand with uh, John Stewart, and that's basically just on guard. So, what do you think, sir? I watched this one twice. Me too. And the first time I 
you know, I'm moving in a couple of weeks, you know, uh, like 10 uh-huh. days, actually. Uh, so I was sort of packing when I watched this one. So I didn't take any notes. The second time I watched it, which was literally like an hour before this recording, I took two notes. So, you know, at first I thought, is that a bad thing? And then I decided, no, it's really not. Um, is this the best episode in the world? No. But I think it's a good epilogue to Starcrossed. I like the fact that, again, they're focusing on Shaira and her relationships in the League, uh, this time with John's current girlfriend. Um, again, they come to uh, certain terms um, that they're, you know, they both have feelings for John, and they're not going to outright fight for him, but all's fair in love and war. You know, I, I like knowing the ultimate fate of uh, Rotalic. But just, I mean, overall, you know, not the strongest episode, but a lot of good stuff in it. What about you? Um, this one just doesn't do it for me. Okay, that's fair. Uh, I, and when when I said I've seen it twice, I meant I had seen it once before and then once in reviewing for this episode, okay. or for this episode of WFP. Um, really, to me, it's basically just Vigilante and Shaira bitched each other. Shaira mulls over turning herself in. More bitching between the heroes. Shaira wants to surrender. No, you can't do that. No, I'm going to. No, you can't. Shaira has turned into such an emo kid in this episode, and John basically says as much before they even go off on the mission. Uh, he's like, "You're not pulling your weight as a team member," and she's like, "No, he says team leader or team leader." Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. That's this episode is just way too repetitive. Uh, it, it, there's too much, too much bickering between them about Shaira making a de- one decision, but. Uh, one thing I do really like about this episode was Krager coming back and just royally messed up. Yeah, what by, happened by to him? I couldn't remember. Jean, he was the one that Jean took the information from to fly the spaceship oh. in part three of Starcross. He just totally, totally fucked his mind up. Yeah, I completely forgot what happened to him. I kept thinking uh, Green Lantern did something to him, and I'm like, no, he didn't. Oh, okay. That was that was a nice little thing they did there then. But um, really, in the moment where Krager says, "I miss Commander Talek. I miss being able to think without pain," I legit felt bad for the guy. Yeah, you do. You do, don't you? I really did because, yeah. like we said in in part three, dude loved Commander Talek. Like literally yeah. loved him. Yeah. Uh, and. You know, I, I do. I feel bad for the guy. And then, uh, ultimately, he dies here. Because yeah. Shaira rips the power core out of his uh, exo-squad suit that he's hooked to, and he just falls to his doom. Yeah. And speaking of that, what happened to the the, the female hawk that's not Shaira, whose name I can't remember? Parandol. Yeah, does, um, does she die? I mean, she gets kicked out of the spaceship, and then that's... Yeah, we never see her again. again. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. you can kind of assume she lives. Yeah, because she could fly, but we never see her again in the series, so. Oh, well. Um, I was digging Vigilante in this one. Yeah, I I like Vigilante here. And that was Nathan Fillion that was voicing him, right? Mm -hmm. I think that's who that was, yeah. Um, Yeah, I I like the fact that he point blank says that he's prejudiced against the Hawk people. You know, he was tortured by them during Starcrossed. It's Starcrossed, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, he, he's like, yeah, they're just a bunch of filthy hawks, as he calls them. And that's why he has a big, big problem with Shaira. Um, 
you know, and a couple in the fact that she was a traitor too, um, really doesn't sit right with them. I think this might be the most characterization we ever get out of Vigilante, but uh, all, all the same, it's 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 good characterization that they gave him. You know, mm-hmm. they had one episode to do it, and they gave you a well-rounded character. You know, they, you know all you need to know about him. He's a fighter. He's going to go down fighting. He's going to do some stupid stuff. He's a little <laughs> cocky, and uh, he, he's a little prejudiced, and you almost can't say it's unjustified. You know, it's... I hate to say any sort of prejudice is justified, but in this case, it sort of is. You know, yeah, it it kind of is. Yeah. It, I do think it's it's kind of funny that Nathan Fillion, uh, you know, who's vigilante and uh, Vixen, who was voiced by Gina Torres, uh, were both here because they were both in the in Firefly, yeah. the TV show. Yeah, and and you know, Firefly is pretty much a space western, right? Yeah, not Fillion pretty much. It cowboy. is. It is yeah. a space western. There's no pretty much about it. Right, and Fillion voices or plate rather plays a cowboy character on on the that show too. Yeah, yeah. He was he was he was Captain Mal. So yeah, yeah. Um, like I didn't take a lot of notes through in this one, and we've run through them already. Um, I do have one more if you'd like oh, me to. Sure, sure. Go for it. <laughs> Beginning of the episode, um, Vixen pulls. GL into that room. Mm-hmm. He po- instinctively he pulls the ring out and starts arming it or whatever you want to say. Yeah. And she's just smiling at him. And he's like, "Mario, are you crazy? Do you know what I could do to you with this ring?" And she's like, "Promises, promises." <laughs> yes, I know. Does the power ring double as a dildo? Hey, anything you want it to do, it can do. <laughs> you know, if if she wants to be quad teamed by a bunch of Johns, he can do it. You know. <laughs> Um, oh my god yeah. triple or more penetration with the power ring yeah sure oh, why Jesus. not you know, what, you know what are you gonna do um i mean she does have the power of the animal she could turn herself into an octopus thing and tentacle porn herself i guess i don't know <laughs> no there's a couple of sexual references in this one that one she implies he's going to use it as a sex toy later on uh vixen is saying to shayera oh you should see his underwear drawer and shayera is like i have you know, so it's it's very clear there's some nookie going on on the watchtower, um, yep. and you know that's another thing I appreciate about this one is that they do touch upon the adult themes in here. They don't shy away. Obviously, they're not like, oh yeah, I fucked him. Yeah, me too. He's got a big dick. There, there's none <laughs> of that. But it's it's like, you know, they're flat out saying that sexual relationships have gone on. You know that they're, that they're getting away with it in a kid's cartoon. You know, we, we always commend stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. A little bit of continuity here, too. Uh, once again, they mentioned the little Chinese place by John's apartment. Right. Uh, which, you know, I think Shaira had mentioned in an old Justice League episode. So, you know, that, that, that was nice. Just a nice little thing they threw in there. Um, anything else about this one? This is the first episode where Shira, uh, Shaira wears that yellow tank top instead of the white outfit she was wearing. But that's oh, not yeah. – that's just a, my, uh, a very minor animation note. Other than that, I can't really think of anything, except they also told John's favorite movie is Old Yeller again. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, you know what? There is something else I wanted to mention. When they first land the javelin on that planet, Vixen turns on a salamander or something power and looks out into the jungle to see if anything's around. Then later on, when Vigilante's like, hey, this is your territory, why don't you do your thing? She's like, what do I know about the jungle? And I'm like, you just used your heightened senses to... Look throughout the jungle. Heaven forbid someone ask you to do it. <laughs> I didn't understand why she was taking issue. It's like she was making it a race thing. Like, oh, I'm That's black, exactly so I know about what the I was jungle. thinking. 
It's mm-hmm. like, that's not what he was saying. He's prejudiced against Hawk people, not black people. You demonstrated your power in front of him, dummy. You know, that's he's just <laughs> asking you to do it again. And in a few minutes, she ends up saying that her hunting skills or her tracking skills are 100 times better than even the Hawk people skills. So it's Make sort of up your like, damn mind, woman. Yeah, exactly. It's like, um, I don't know what your problem is, but um, why are you yelling at him? <laughs> like, you've got to stick up your ass, woman. <laughs> Too many, that, too many bitches and people like stick up, sticks up their asses. Yeah. Uh, do you just want to score these? Yeah, let's let's do it. Oh, okay, Task Force X. Give that one a nine. Same here. Uh, let's see the balance. Give that one a seven. Same here. Double date. Uh, slightly down. I give it a six. This one is getting a seven from me. Clash. <laughs> um. This is a hard one to grade. Yeah, um, it is. But it, it really pisses me off on many levels, so I've, I've got to give it a three. I'm... I wrote down a four, but, man, I'm so torn. You know what? I'm going to give it a three, two, uh, or three also, I should say. Um, mm-hmm. and, and like I said when we were speaking about it a few minutes ago, everything that that episode gets falls on what they were doing with Captain Marvel and the way Jerry O'Connell played him. Everything mm-hmm. else in that episode is downright terrible and disrespectful, too, I think. Yes. You know, I, I don't want it to seem like I don't think Superman should never get angry, should, should never dislike someone, should never hold a grudge against someone. Obviously, he's going to have a grudge against, against Luthor. It's just the way he was acting towards Captain Marvel. That's all. That's all. Yep. Uh, Hunter's Moon. Uh, I actually had this only at a five, but as we talked about it, I, I bumped it up to a six. That is getting a six from me, too. Look, Captain, I wanted no more lectures. I called this meeting, and I'm going to have my say. But my whole life, I've looked up to the League. You were my heroes, every one of you. And you, you were more than a hero. I idolized you. I wanted to be you. Whenever I was out there facing down the bad guys, I think... What would Superman do? Now I know. I believe in fair play. I believe in taking people at their word and giving them the benefit of the doubt. Back home, I've come up against my share of pretty nasty bad guys, but I never had to act the way they did to win a fight. I always found another way. I I guess I'm saying I, I like being a hero, a symbol. And that's why I'm quitting the Justice League. You don't act like heroes anymore. Feedback in the form of emails can be sent to feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. That's feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. Our voicemail number is 731-WFP-WFP-0. 731-937-9370. And don't forget about our store, which can be found at earth2.net slash store. That's earth-2.net slash store. And also remember that if you donate at least $10 to earth2.net in the month of December, you'll receive my DVD commentary of Superman, Batman, Apocalypse. And the person who donates the most amount of money in December will also receive a brand new copy of the uncut version of Batman Beyond Return of the Joker, the book 
Batman Animated, and the other book, Mythology, the DC Comics Art of Alex Ross. To donate, all you have to do is head on over to earth2.net slash donations. That's earth-2.net slash donations. Next time on World's Finest Podcast, we'll discuss five more episodes of Justice League Unlimited. Those being Question Authority, Flashpoint, Panic in the Sky, Divided We Fall, and I Am Legion. Yes, we said I Am Legion and not Epilogue. We'll explain that in the next episode. For James Doe, I'm Michael David Sims saying thank you for listening to World's Finest Podcast.